We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody, welcome to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show presented by Roto Grinders. I'm your host Travis Mangone here with a guy. He's got his own Wikipedia page. He's a American poker player. He's a self-published author. He's a Harvard University lecturer. This is the Brandon Adams. Brandon, how's it going over there, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's been a long time since I checked out that Wikipedia page. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it is not accurate. <laughs> I have to say, you're, you're probably the only DFS. Yeah, you're probably the only DFS player with a Wikipedia page. So uh, no, I, I just, did, just did a quick search on you on some things, and I uh, thought that was really funny and wanted to bring that up. But uh, I'm really excited to be on a show with you, Brandon. When I heard I was doing this, I was pretty excited because people see you on State Kings always uh, shipping all the money, and uh, kind of want to dive into your mind and uh, you know talk some tournaments. Uh, I think it's going to be a good time. Uh, First, uh, let's kind of dive right in, and let's talk about the season, right? Um, you're a tournament mind, uh, and I want to really dive in and talk about that at the top of the show. How are you approaching tournaments this season compared to last? Like, what adjustments have you made? What are you looking forward to without having any data of what's going to happen this season? Well, it's a long conversation, but we'll we'll try to do an abbreviated version. And if, if someone wants a bit of a summary, uh, at the Advanced Sports Analytics team, we've written a book called Advanced Fantasy Football where we, we kind of do a 30,000-foot view of the data and how to construct winning tournament lineups. Um, so to give you some background, when I first started NFL, I dove into Jonathan Bale's books, which are a great resource to this day. And when Bales wrote his books, uh, DraftKings had supplied him with data of winning millionaire maker lineups, and he was able to examine the characteristics of those, those lineups. Um, his findings were basically that the millionaire maker winners up to say 2016 tended to be pay down for quarterback, uh, pay down for running back, pay up for wide receiver, use the wide receiver in the flex. Typically have a tight, a uh, cheap tight end, but it didn't really matter so much what you did. And typically have a cheap defense. So all of the work we've done at Advanced Sports Analytics basically accords with Bale's early work. And we think he had the right idea for winning lineup construction. Interestingly, 2017 and 2018 had winning millionaire maker lineups that were completely different. As you know, last year was a year to pay up for running back almost every single week and even use running back in the flex. Uh, so I suspect this year, uh, people, even in millionaire maker lineups where you're trying to beat 300,000 people are going to be paying up at running back and often using the running back in the flex, uh, I tend to think this is the wrong construction. 
Now, just question on it, uh, because I'm, I am curious, and I'm definitely looking at that, and I'm someone that is putting more running backs in the flex based on stuff I've looked at as well. And it's interesting to hear you say the opposite. And I think a lot of people are going to do uh, the approach that, you know, you just mentioned with the paying up the running backs, and m- many won't do the receiver one that you're talking about. So that could lead to being contrarian, right, leading to a different path, which uh, could lead to trying to beat less people. So I think that makes some sense. But do you think people are doing that because running backs are just in a more prominent role right now, right? They're getting more pass-catching opportunities than they were in the past. Again, like the times have changed a little bit in football, but do you think that that plays into it a little or no? Uh, I I do think that plays into it. Um, I think – we have to be very careful, of course, in distinguishing the cash game conversation from the tournament conversation. You think um, some of the best sports analysts, analysts in the world work at DraftKings, work at FanDuel. Um, their pricing problem is a very difficult problem because they're having to price for 300,000-person tournaments as well as cash games. Um, what I tended to find last year was that – uh, for cash games, you tended to do well paying up for quarterback, which was a bit different than previous seasons because if you looked at projected fantasy points per salary dollar, quarterback as a position tended to, to have high fantasy points per salary dollar. So you, you would want to all else equal have more salary dollars allocated to quarterback. Um, running backs, Almost every season in terms of DraftKings pricing have had higher projected fantasy points per salary dollar at, at, at running back versus wide receiver. So for cash game lineups, you all, you almost always wanted to, uh, allocate a lot of money to running backs. This is leaving aside the fact that variance is basically bad for heads up lineups and running back has less variance. So always for cash games, the good lineup construction is going to be pay up for high value running backs unless there's some clear just chalk that cannot be avoided and use running back in the flex. For large field tournaments, the problem with paying up at running back and having a running back at the flex is that really a tournament winning lineup is it's a race against time. You have a very limited number of player minutes and you have to accumulate a lot of fantasy points in that time and running eats up clock running on a per play basis often has limited upside relative to like a Deshaun Jackson down the field bomb or, or what have you. Um, so you're eating up precious fantasy minutes that you, that you really need to have kind of explosive point potential building up. If you're going to, if you're going to win a tournament. Um, so the problem with paying up three times at running back is you're just, it's too much, too much salary dollar for too little uh, explosive upside potential. Okay, yeah, one thing I actually want to ask you about, and again, like as I'm discussing, like you're giving me ideas in my head, and uh, I was kind of looking, and one stack that I was kind of considering, like I like that uh, I like that one game with uh, Carolina, and I like it with the Rams, and I was kind of making a team last night, and I had a Gurley and McCaffrey team, so I think Gurley's not going to get a lot of ownership, and we don't know what he's going to do. Do you have any like data that you've looked at with like, playing two running backs in the same game, kind of talking about, like, eating up clock. Is that, like, a negative EV thing uh, to do, actually, looking at, like, the data? Um, According to, say, Bales' old data, it was a bad thing to do. And according to our data, it is a bad thing to do. So there have been millionaire maker winning lineups that have had extreme game stacks that have had opposing running backs. uh, But – I would say it's it's bad construction, especially uh, if we're looking at, say, this week where there is a lot of value. Uh, the winning lineups are likely to be very high-scoring lineups. I, I I can't imagine that that would be a winning construction. Yeah, again, I was, like, just kind of brainstorming around. I'm still kind of, like, navigating what my best build is going to be uh, based on the kind of the stacks that I like and don't like uh, because uh, there's there's one stack that we'll get to uh, throughout the show that I'll mention that I really like, and I'm trying to find the right players that fit around them, and it's been uh, kind of difficult so far. But um, And if you don't mind, I just want to revisit one part of, of why historically you've wanted to pay up for wide receiver. It wasn't true in 2017, 2018, but it was true in all previous years. Um 
One, when you look at the data of the distribution of fantasy performances, what you found over the long history is that the, the top tier wide receivers have access to a ceiling that no other players have access to, including the highest priced running backs. So the, the best games from Antonio Brown historically or Julio Jones, they have access to this 50, 60 point ceiling that the top running backs do not have access to. Um, and furthermore, the mid-priced wide receivers do not have access to these ceilings. Um, so if you're trying to get that 250, 300-point fantasy team, you want you want to have one or two of these elite wide receivers in in your lineup because of the potential ceiling. Now, we have to talk about 2017. 17, 2018, where you had these anomalous results from running backs, you you did have 50-plus fantasy point performances from running backs. I think this is going to be seen as a historical anomaly. People might argue that point with me, but I think you're better off looking at six, eight years of data showing that when you pay 9000 for a running back, you're hoping for the 32-point game. You have little hope of the 50-point game. However, when you pay nine thousand for Julio Jones, you have some access to that to that fifty point game. Yeah, I think it just depends like how much you think the league has changed and whatnot. I think you bring up great points, and I also think with everyone seeing like the data of what happened last year, like I said earlier, like this is going to give you a different path to victory, right? And if this path like happens, like you're not going to have to beat out as many people. And it's something like the Millie Maker taking a contrarian path is definitely a a good route to go. So uh, I definitely don't hate that route. Maybe throughout the show, we'll try and find like a double, uh, you know, spend up receiver route. One thing I thought of uh, right off the top of my head was Julio Jones and like Adam Thielen. But like my one worry with that is those, that game might be a little bit slower paced than you're hoping because of, uh, the way the Vikings are talking about running the ball a lot. So uh, I don't know, just trying to think of some stuff and maybe we can find some throughout the show, Brandon. Uh, anything else you want to touch on on tournaments? You don't want to kind of dive into the position by position breakdown. Um, so the other thing that we, we need to look at for uh, this year is last year was very anomalous for defenses because uh, the millionaire maker winning lineup often had an explosive scoring defense, which wasn't really an important characteristic of, of previous seasons winning lineups. Uh, you didn't need to have that defense that scored 20, 25 points. Um, so we, we have to ask ourselves, was that an anomaly? What was the high defensive scores or, or as you suggest, have there been changes that, uh, lead to high scoring defense performances being more likely and you just need to, need to target those defenses that have some explosive potential. Yeah, I think the reasoning I could think that, and again, it's tough because there's so much variance in defense, right? There is so much. So I don't know for certain, but the one thing that kind of came to my head when you said that was, we are in more of a passing league now than maybe we were in the past. So uh, that leads to more opportunities for the defense. So more chances to get sacks, more chances for uh, interceptions, all those other things. Uh, when you're running the ball, obviously there's a chance at a fumble too, but less likely in my opinion than, you know, having an interception. So, and I, I think the key is really the dropbacks. The quarterback keep going back, uh, getting sacked or throwing it away a lot and keeping the game going longer and longer. I don't know if you uh, feel this, but sometimes I feel like I'm sitting down and I'm watching a game and the game just takes forever. Uh, you know, I'll be watching the red zone channel and it feels like the four o'clock or the one o'clock games just pour into the four o'clock game. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's because of that because it's more of a passing league or it could just be variance because defense is very wonky. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it, it's a tough question. I mean, my, my intuition is that last year was a little bit anomalous, um, where you had so many of these explosive defensive performances, but, but I'm not sure. And I think in terms of fantasy advice, uh, one thing that you should not do when you're constructing tournament lineups is look at median expectation for defenses and projected salary points per dollar for defenses and make your decisions based on that because I think that will lead you badly astray. So in other words, you have all of the defenses. Something that players might typically do is look at the the projected median performance for the defense and then just choose the defense defense or defenses with the highest 
projected fantasy points per dollar. Uh, very bad approach if you're trying to win tournaments. Good approach for cash games. But for tournaments, you'd be better off um, trying to circle, say, five defenses that have explosive potential, that have some probability of that that 16-plus fantasy point performance, and just fit those five somewhere in your lineups regardless of, of, of pricing and ignore – Ignore the other defenses. Yep, I think it's a I think it's a great point that you brought up there. Uh, definitely worth uh, you know covering. Anything else you want to talk about, or you want to dive into position by position now? Uh, let's let's roll position by position. All right. If you have any other tournament stuff throughout the show that you think of, Brandon, feel free to bring it up. I'm sure that people would love to hear the takes on that. Let's dive in and talk about quarterbacks at the top and uh, quarterback. You know, it's an absolutely, you know, loaded position as always. Uh, there's a lot of different routes that you can go. Um, I don't think there's one chalk guy, uh, for sure, but, um, who are some of your favorite quarterbacks on the slate, Brandon? Um, so I'm, I'm mostly going cheap. Uh, I'm, I'm rolling a fair bit of naked, uh, Carson Wentz. Um, and I have a, a good bit of, of Josh Allen. Um, I'm pretty much looking to pay down at quarterback and looking to be a bit contrarian. I think, I think Holmes, I think Holmes Kelsey might be a full, uh, Mahomes Kelsey might be a full like 25, 30% of lineup. So I'm looking to just avoid that completely. Yeah, I definitely see that. And, and one reason I think you could see, uh, you know, guys like Mahomes getting a lot of ownership is because I think we have a lot of salary to work with, right? But I think there are so many different routes that you can go uh, at quarterback. I think my most two targeted quarterbacks are uh, I'm looking at Jameis Winston. I'm looking at Jimmy Garoppolo. I really like that game. That's the one that I'm definitely going to be all over. I think there's so much opportunity there. Uh, what do you think of those two guys? I'm – not personally there, uh, but I see it. I see it in the data. I, I approve, but it's not personally a direction that I'm going. Um, with, with our tools, one of my favorites is the uh, the probability of each team being the highest scoring team on the week. And what what tends to be a good idea is to focus on say ranks two through four where everyone else is going to be focusing on the the highest probability team. Uh, that leads me to a team like like Philadelphia where we have we have them projected as the the second highest probability to be the highest scoring team on the week. Um, I think uh San Fran for me personally it's a it's it's a bit far on, down on the list for for me to focus on latch latch onto. So I, it's, it's my personal tournament approach that you can never cover all the bases. You have to choose your battles on the week. Um, you can either choose the battles that you know the most about or have, have the, um, have particular insight into how the game is going to play out, or you just choose ones where, you know, the data speaks to you. Like this is a good opportunity for me. The data says, I know Casey's going to be super popular. I'm ignoring them all together. I'm focusing on the uh, slightly lesser teams like Philadelphia and just hoping to get those right. No, I totally get that and think that approach is fine. One thing I thought looking at your guys' uh, tools, uh, looking at the NFL total projection like you mentioned, sure, uh, you know, Tampa Bay and San Francisco might not be at the top, but they're the only two teams in the same game that are in the top ten. So I kind of like the, that looking at your guys' uh, NFL uh, point total projection outcome tool. Uh, also, Byron Leftwich, he ranks fifth among main uh, on the main slate. He ranks fifth among offensive coordinators in pass plays run per game. And Arians, he ranks fifth among uh, the offensive coordinators in pass plays ran per game too. So, uh, you know, I'm expecting, uh, you know, I'm expecting a lot of pass plays in that game in general. I'm also in the camp of I like buying in on smart coaches in general. And like Kyle Shanahan's a smart guy. Uh, I'm a fan of Bruce Arians too. I expect them both to air it out, and I'm going to be all over this game. So. What's your particular approach in this game? So. So another another thing for me is like I feel that there are some teams that I have insight into based on our, our data and and also a little bit of eyeball test and 
uh, it's not so much the case in this game. So, so what is your approach? Yeah, so I think the way I'm approaching it, one, I really like, uh, I'm a big fan of Kittle. I'm a big fan of Howard. And I, I like, I think this is a slate and I don't want to like get out of quarterbacks real quick, but I want to play a tight end in my opinion. That's like a good tight end. Like there's just like, a, there's a lot of salary to work with this week. Like I'm playing one of like the good tight ends and I think they're underpriced. So I like Kittle. I'm very bullish on Howard. Uh, there's some data that shows with like Deshaun Jackson being gone, uh, and everything that Howard has a chance to get more red zone opportunity. So I like OJ Howard a lot. If you also look, uh, I really like, you know, Mike Evans, Godwin, putting Godwin in the slot. We expect him to have a pretty big year. I just think all of the targets in that game are really interesting. And the one thing that every Millie Maker stack always has, Brandon, it feels like, is they have this low-owned wide receiver that has a big game, right? Uh, and the low-owned wide receiver that I think could have a big game is one of the San Francisco ones. Like, if you run maybe, like, Jimmy Garoppolo, and then you pair him up with one of the cheap guys, and I was talking with Dean about it last night, he said he talked with Jamino, who has a really, like, good insight on uh, what happened in preseason, and I followed preseason close enough where I understood this as well. Like, we don't know what's happening with Dante Pettis, so people are worried about what he's going to do. Debo Samuel really shined in camp, and I think he's a really cheap, low-owned wide receiver that could get run. And if Kyle Shanahan also had a quote that he said, all the receivers are going to play. He's pretty much just letting all of them go out there and take a shot at it. And, like, in the highest total game, no one's going to want to touch these Niners receivers. They're going to gravitate to Mike Evans. They're going to gravitate towards Godwin. They're going to go to Kittle, all those guys that are known. But some of these cheaper, low-owned wide receivers on the Niners in the most in the highest total game, obviously I don't know what's going to happen with them, but I really need to play those guys. I just think they're really good, low-owned targets that we need to attack. Yeah, and – and historically, they are the the type of air yards guys that have some explosiveness. Uh, I can I can definitely see it, um, and I agree with you. It does seem like that that is the typical construction. You have one punt wide receiver that gets there. Um, it goes to the point that you're in a fight against time in these tournaments, and you and you need to uh, pile in the fantasy points in a very short period of time and. And really what you're looking for out of these $3,200 guys is that one play where they make 20 fantasy points, where they, they run it down the field 80 yards and, and have a TD. Um, if, if, they, if they have two TDs, all the better. Um, the other thing that you tend to get from these guys is because they're really distributional plays, they never look so great in terms of median projected fantasy points per dollar. Um, you're really, you're really just playing them for the probability that they have the 20 point game or the 30 point game. They, they don't, they don't look good, uh, projected fantasy points. So as a result, no one plays them. So you're, you're always getting that, that 5% ownership on them. Um, I think, yeah, especially this week, it does feel like a week, as you say, to, to pay up for, tight end, at least pay 5,000. The only exception to that is maybe if you go Austin Hooper. Um, but I think you pay up for tight end and you look for that one, uh, that one punt wide receiver. Um, my favorite, I don't know, maybe, maybe Higgins. Um, we, for Cleveland, uh, if you look at our, our tools, um, Josh Allen's projected to lead in, um, be near the top in the combined category of dropbacks plus fantasy points per dropback. Um, and it's likely that that's going to be a passing attack game. Um, we don't know how Beckham is feeling. Uh, I, I could easily see Higgins having that, that 20 plus <clears throat> fantasy point performance. Um, and I don't, I could just, I could just play him solo. I also wouldn't be afraid to do a, a Baker Higgins stack. Yeah, that's definitely uh, interesting. And I, I've definitely heard people obviously talking about like a guy go like ahead, Baker. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. But, um, anyways, let, let's go back to a quarterback I want to discuss actually. Uh, I want to discuss Lamar Jackson, uh, real quick. And then if there's any other quarterbacks, you can touch on them too. Uh, is Lamar Jackson a guy that you're going to play? You talk about, um, I know he has all that rushing upside, but you talk about, uh, you know, playing against the clock as well. Are you worried about that with Lamar Jackson or you think his upside still good enough and you're going to have him like solo? Um, I will not have Lamar Jackson. 
personally. Uh, I, being a Miami guy, um, I sometimes like to play the m- people in Miami games because I'm either at the game or I'm, or I'm watching the game and it works out so seldomly <laughs> that, that you should just basically not do it. I mean, the, the number of times that, that you, uh, you're happy for having any Miami game participant in your tournament lineups is just, is just, it's so infrequent and it's just, they play messy, slow games. They yeah. play, all the home games are messy and slow. All of the, um, even the away games are messy and slow and it's just, it's just not a good fantasy environment and I don't do it, especially at QB. I just don't. All right, one last guy I'll ask you about at QB, and then we'll kind of head on over to running back. Kyler Murray, uh, what are you doing with him? He's a guy that uh, has had some buzz and uh, that new offense. Uh, are you taking a shot in it, or are you taking the wait-and-see approach with Murray and the Cardinals? Uh, I think that could be a bit of a slow game as well. Um, I'm I'm not going there myself. Uh, I don't. I don't really see the explosive potential. Really with QB, you, you have to nail one of the top three spots. The reason that it isn't so necessary to pay up for the premium QB is because, um, the premium QB is only marginally more likely to land in those top three spots than like one of the mid tier guys. Uh, you, you need to get one of the top three guys, but it's a, it's a little bit of a matter of, of, of luck. Um, I don't see the explosive potential there. All right, let's head on over to the running back position and talk about that. Um, uh, this is a week where there's a lot of underpriced guys. Uh, if you look at DraftKings specifically, Brandon, the the 6K range is loaded with so many different guys, like the 6 and 5K range. There's so many options you can go to. But then also at the top, I mean, there's so many great bell cows that we can talk about. Like McCaffrey's a really great option. You know, if I don't know if Zeke's going to get all the work. I'm a little worried about that. Barkley against Dallas. We know how he can be really explosive. Um, where, What range are you living in, in to uh, pick your running backs this week? Um, I'm, I'm thinking the mid tier value. I think it, it's pretty destructive for your lineup to like pay up for McCaffrey. Um, he's also not a tournament guy really. I mean, he's had some big fantasy point performances, but he's, he's, he's really, uh, like hitting a lot of second bases and he's hitting a lot of doubles. You know, he's not, he's not the home run guy uh, so much. Uh, for me, um, it, it might be fine in cash. I haven't looked at cash game construction that closely, but I would not play him in tournaments. I think in cash, like you just naturally have a lot of salary so you can afford him. So it's like great to get him, but it's not a necessity. I, I, I made, I made a cash team I liked with McCaffrey and I made one without. So, uh, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Uh, tournaments, it can hinder your lineup though. I've definitely done some, uh, McCaffrey, uh, put McCaffrey in there in tournaments and it makes it a bit difficult, but, uh, I do think it's interesting for sure. Uh, talk about that 6k. What were you going to say? I think with running back, you, you just go with the chalk and you look for deviation. Um, say finding that cheap wide receiver as we talked about. Um, and with running back, you just go super chalky. I mean, you play Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, Fournette in some combinations and you just basically leave it at that. That's kind of going to be my approach. Um, guys. I, I just said that I would not play guys in Miami, but I will punt some Mark Ingram just because I could I can easily envision the, the two touchdown game. Um, that I I will sprinkle in some of him. Traditionally, he hasn't been a huge pass catching explosive back, but I I could just see that that two touchdown uh, possibility. So I also. Uh, we'll play some Devonta Freeman. We know from a few seasons back what his explosiveness is and just reading some Atlanta beat reporters. I mean, this is a guy that everyone in Atlanta wants to succeed and wants to return to that, that explosive like RB1 kind of thing. So, uh, willing to take my chances there. Um, and, I might also, again, 
neglecting my Miami advice, uh, punt some, some Kenyon Drake because there, I do feel that he has that explosiveness as he showed last year against New England. Um, so that's about it for me. It's quite concentrated, I would say, for running back. Yeah, I think like, so if you're sitting down and you're you know, building your 150 lineups, like I think I'm, you know, if I go to the Nick Chubb range, I'll just, I'll throw Chubb in there. I'll, I don't mind some Damian Williams, but I know there, there, there could be some issues with him. Maybe his ownership's a little bit lower. And if he gets all the work, he could crush like four nets in that range that I like. Dalvin Cook, who's going to be really chalky. You have to like him. I know you said that, uh, you worry about the tempo of the Detroit Arizona game, but carry on Johnson is intriguing. It's a, a against a team in the Cardinals where their defense is so, so bad. And on top of that, you have a um, – not only is the defense bad, but uh, on Johnson, he could just have a positive game script in that game. So I kind of like that opportunity for him. One guy you didn't mention who I absolutely love is Chris Carson at 5,700. I think he's going to have that perfect game script that I'm definitely going to be all over. Like him a lot. And then Austin Eckler is another guy who you mentioned that I don't have in as much lineups right now, but I think I need to get some more exposure to him. And I also love what you said about Devontae Freeman. So I do think a lot of people are going to be living in this range, but I think this is a great range to live in because I think a lot of these running backs are just straight up underpriced. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is where, this is where all the value is. The ownership is, is going to be concentrated, but you just go with it. And I'm, I'm absolutely on board with Carson and carry on as, as slightly lower values than those top guys that, but guys that you should definitely have in there. Um, well, let's, let's play a fun game then. And uh, it's not really fun because uh, you're going to have trouble a- answering this question. Uh, rank these three for me. Uh, Nick Chubb, Leonard Fournette, and Dalvin Cook. If you had to rank those three, how would you rank them? Uh, Fournette, Fournette, Cook, and Chubb. Fournette, then Cook, then Chubb. Uh, that, that would be for me tournament preference. Yeah, okay. And it's tough. Like, it's definitely not easy. Like, all three of those options are, are really, really good. I'll give you one more here. Uh, so how would you do Carry on Johnson, Chris Carson, and Austin Eckler? How would you rank those? Just to backtrack on that, on that a bit. Um, Cook is a great value and he has an outstanding matchup. I mean, we saw what running backs did against Atlanta last year. Um, he hasn't historically been an ex- Explosive running back. In, I'm speaking in terms of fantasy points. He hasn't he hasn't flashed that tournament winning upside exactly. Um, so I take Fournette as good matchup, probably fresh eyeball test, like very explosive from the college days. Like has that 40 fantasy point possibility. Um, so that's that's sort of where I'm coming from. Yeah, I actually think I might have Cook over all of them. And the reason why is, like, I just think, like, I'm the big fan of how the Vikings are going to run the ball a lot. And also, I love seeing him in college. He was so explosive in college. And now that he's off of that ACL injury, like, second year, we saw how good Allen Robinson looked last night. Like, that just had me more excited about it. So uh, I think Cook is going to have an explosive year. And I think a lot of the stars are going to align for him. But, yeah, I, I like him. And, again, like, all three of those guys are really good. Like, you, you can't go wrong with those picks, in my opinion. Uh, what about the, the these three? Carry uh, on Johnson, Chris Carson, and Eckler. I would probably rank them Carson, Johnson, Eckler because I worry a little bit about Eckler's volume being at like sixty five percent and more of a split with Jackson. Uh, but how would you rank those three? Um, I would take Eckler for tournaments, then Johnson, then Carson. All right, why Eckler in tournaments? Uh, because of the upside that he could have with getting more carries and the ownership. What's your kind of take on that? Yeah, I I I think it's it's really uh, an upside play. Also on the on the price side, fifty five hundred uh, looks pretty attractive. I mean, I guess all these guys are in the same range: fifty five, fifty seven, fifty eight. Yeah, for me, um, I mean, we know what Melvin Gordon did for a while to fantasy lineups. It's not the same situation, but I, I, I like, uh, to me, there's a lot of upside pop and there's, and there's an, there's a nice, nice floor as well. 
All right. Uh, let's dip down into the cheaper running backs. I know Drake was one guy you talked about, which I understand he can obviously pop and have some opportunity. Mark Ingram is a guy that I heard some people talk about because he could have a positive game script and you brought him up again. So I think that's interesting. I know, uh, I don't, obviously don't like the, the uh, game script for Darius Geis, but uh, he's a guy that they're talking about being like a three down back going forward. Uh, but my cheap running back play that I really like, it's in that San Francisco Tampa Bay game. It's Matt Breida. Uh, I just feel like he fits this game flow really well, and there's all this talk about how Matt Breida might be getting uh, more opportunity than people expected uh, than earlier in the season than Tevin Coleman. So I think Breida's the guy that I like. And, again, I'm already playing that stack, so mixing him in isn't a bad approach for me. He's only 4K. Uh, what do you think of Matt Breida and some of the other cheap options? Yeah, that's, that's a spot where um, no one really knows what's going to happen, and there's value – there's value there. Uh, I think it's a, it's worthy to take take some chances uh, in that spot. Um, and as you said, all the pieces are cheap and explosive in San Francisco, so you might wouldn't be unreasonable to pair Brita with with one of the cheap wide receivers. Usually, that running back wide receiver pairing is not so good, but I think it could be good. Um, yeah, I mean, I I could certainly see it. No one. For for me, uh, no one has much knowledge as to what that that is going to look like. That share is going to look like. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's just like one of those things where I'm just letting everyone do their group think and uh, maybe taking a shot there with him because people just don't know what's going to happen. The unknown is like a good thing to attack because it's going to give us less ownership, at least in like uh, earlier weeks, in my opinion. I I, I agree completely. Especially when so many pegs are already like in the board, um, you gotta you gotta take take some out and replace with with something that's uncertain. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like I said, like I don't know what cheap running back I like. Like I don't like a lot of these guys. And and there's all those values in like the five and six k range. But like from a cheaper cheap standpoint, like. I don't know. I, I feel better about going with a guy like Matt Breida over a guy like Miles Sanders, who, sure, Miles Sanders has gotten all this talk about how good he looks, but he is a rookie running back in his first game. And, like, I don't know. I just – I'm not too big on that. And I know the Eagles aren't really big on, like, beating up their running backs. I'm sure they want to save Miles Sanders for down the stretch and help him learn the system. So, yeah, I'm definitely in the camp of give me, uh, you know, Breida. I think he's going to be my low-owned running back option as my value play. Uh, before we move on to receivers, any other thoughts you want to add in on the uh, top running backs on the slate, the expensive guys? It doesn't sound like that's a range where we're living in too much. I'm sure I'm going to have definitely some McCaffrey on the slate, but uh, any interest in Todd Gurley with him being an unknown option? Uh, David Johnson, do we expect him to come to life with the new Cardinals offense? Um, what are you kind of doing with the uh, top end running backs? I know you said you're not playing too many of them, but what do you think about it? It's it's personally a spot that I'm avoiding, although I I can see the possibilities given that we have some some strong chalk and and you could pair with um, maybe one of the cheap running backs like a Dalvin Cook and one cheap wide receiver. I can I can definitely see it. It's personally. Uh, not what I'm doing, especially because for me on the wide receiver side, the mid price guys this week are not so explosive. I would rather have like two high price guys and one low price guy. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm personally avoiding them, but I, but I could see the merits. Alrighty. Now, uh, let's dive in. Let's talk about some of this stuff with uh, your site. I obviously want to ask you some questions. What is advanced sports analytics and why did you create it? Um, I created it about three years ago. Um, I saw a bit of a hole in the sports analytics landscape where there was so much focus on median outcomes, and yet it was clear that tournaments were ultimately going to be much more popular than cash games, and tournaments are much more about distributions and correlations and less about median projections. And I was also playing a lot of DFS, so my personal interest was finding the players who had explosive tournament winning potential and and looking about at correlations to see what optimal construction might look like. And so um, it was really this is data that I want not out there, so let me let me get to work in in a simple and best possible fashion. 
All right, I got another question I'll ask you. Talk about some of the tools and how they can help you out. Like, how can you use them? When we get to tight ends a little later, I have a, a tool that I'll kind of mention that I saw that was really interesting stat. But uh, let me know about the tools. Like, how do you use them to help you out? So distributionally, uh, what you care about is is opportunities and then uh, like efficiency per opportunity. So, so a lot of our tools are getting at um, how many how many plays are certain teams running? Uh, what is the tendency for it to be passing versus running uh, for particular quarterbacks? How many times are they dropping back? What what are they? Um, what is their efficiency in terms of fantasy point per drop back? And uh, as the season progresses, we we have data on the distribution of salary. Uh, I'm sorry, on the distribution of fantasy performance and on the distribution of fantasy point per dollar performance. And what I spend a lot of my time on is is looking at looking at distributions of fantasy performance and then comparing it with uh, contextual factors, including just the eyeball test, having watched the games and, and seeing, okay, like this wide receiver, they, they tend to have a, a bimodal distribution where they, they sometimes have these big fantasy point games and sometimes have these, uh, low fantasy point games. What is it about the offensive characteristics or, or what is it about this particular player that, that might make this so, or is this just a, just a chance outcome? Um, and then you look at say running backs and you see say like a Dalvin Cook historically where they, they have a nice, uh, mean fantasy point per salary dollar, but they tend to, um, hover quite closely to that mark. What is it about their particular offense or their, or their particular characteristics as a player, which makes them, uh, hug closely to their projected outcome and not have those, those ex- explosive games or those disappointing games? Um, so for me, it's, it's very much, uh, distributional. And then it's looking at, uh, the correlation of, of fantasy performances, like which, which players can you play together in a stack? Um, I mean, looking, just looking at data this week, for instance, I was checking out Atlanta because Atlanta has always been that team that wins tournaments, right? It's always had. For whatever reason, Matt Ryan is just a uh, a volatile quarterback, and he has very bad games, and he has games that win tournaments. So you you always want him in in some tournament lineups. And I was just looking at Hooper as an intriguing play, and uh, I was somewhat surprised to see in our data that the the uh, correlation of fantasy performances between Hooper and Julio Jones is is a negative correlation. So those are those are not guys that you tend to want to have on the same team and not guys that you want to tend to stack together with, uh, with Matt Ryan, which is somewhat of a surprising thing. They would seem like a natural stack. Yeah. One thing I looked at with your tool uh, and one thing I like about was looking at the NFL volume efficiency and kind of diving into that. Um, you know, Devin Funches isn't in Carolina anymore and they didn't really make many other additions. So, uh, you know, when you just subtract that role, you're subtracting a 17%, uh, you know, target market share. You're subtracting 29%, uh, air yard market share, red zone market share of 26%. I mean, there is just so much opportunity there for guys like Curtis Samuel, uh, guys like DJ Moore to really pop and have these massive games. Like Curtis Samuel is one of the Carolina's most efficient receivers and the metric probably is deflated to his role in the running game. So like there's huge opportunity for him to pop there. DJ Moore, he's probably also really good and efficient here. He isn't currently mapping over in like the system that you can see it here. But if you look at some of the numbers on DJ Moore, his efficiency has been really good. And I just see so much opportunity for him to pop right now. So if you are looking at the tool, DJ Moore isn't showing up there because of an issue, but like DJ Moore just has so much potential to pop here. I think him and Samuel are both amazing options in one of the higher total games. Yes, absolutely. Um, looking looking at market share, there were there were two situations that uh, really popped. For me, it was Carolina, as you say, and then also Tampa Bay in the absence of Deshaun Jackson, where he was a little bit of a well surprisingly a bit of a target share monster so in his absence there's a lot of a lot of opportunity 
Um, and, and as you point out for Carolina, it, uh, Samuel and Moore, um, aren't really priced for this new role. So they're, they're both extreme value. Yes, I agree with you on that. And uh, let's kind of dive in and talk about receiver now uh, and kind of just dive into that topic. Uh, at the top, like, listen, you got to have some takes here because you talked about liking these top-end receivers a lot, Brandon, saying that they're guys that are going to help win the Millie Maker. Uh, my guy that will help you win the Millie Maker, it's Mike Evans. That's my top-end receiver that I like the most. If uh, salary isn't a thing and it doesn't matter, that's the guy I'm going to. What about you? Who are your favorite guys at the top? Um. For me, it's Julio. Uh, it's Julio and Evans, but it's Julio a good bit above Evans, and I'll probably have three or four times as much Julio. Um, again, as we said with Matt Ryan, I think it's almost like intrinsic to him as an individual rather than something about his playing style. It's just he's whatever he he's volatile in his day-to-day performance um but Matt Ryan he uh he is often enough a, a fantasy football player's dream he has these very big performances and and Julio is his favorite target um we can expect also a possible uptick in Julio's uh red zone target share, which was a big concern for fantasy players last year. Um, the absence of Tevin Coleman, even though it seems like a minor thing, like Tevin Coleman, we don't, I mean, he wasn't really a huge fantasy target last year. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I'm just recalling offhand, like a, maybe like a to 15% red red zone target share for Tevin Coleman, which is a it's a little bit surprising, but it was it was there. He's gone now. Um, there's good reason to think that those might go Julio's way. Um, so really, the only thing missing from Julio's explosiveness last year was the red zone target share. He had he had plenty of 10 plus reception games. He had plenty of 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 100 plus yard games. He didn't have the red zone targets that we might expect. I think that, I think that will tend to change this year. Um, and to me, he's, he's got a better distribution of fantasy performances than Evans. Evans is your steady guy who, um, is very often around 10 receptions, but has, in my recollection, never had a 50 plus point fantasy game. I need to revisit his distribution, but um his certainly as compared to Julio, the probability of him topping forty fantasy points is far lower, even though their their median outcomes are similar. Um so for me, Julio is just he's historically a better a better fantasy tournament play and he's he's the guy that I'm gonna gonna tend to be on. All right, and what about these other guys? I mean, Tyreek Hill, you get him against Jacksonville. You know, he's a guy that always has a ton of upside. Amari Cooper, maybe not the best game script, but the Giants were not that scared of them. Adam Thielen, I've seen some stats on him when when Diggs plays with, uh, you know, dealing with that hamstring injury. Thielen gets leaned on more, and I think Thielen's price is amazing. I know T.Y. Hilton lost Andrew Luck, but we know what his pop potential can be. Um, what are some other guys in maybe this, like, uh, lower 7K and mid uh, 6K range that you um, I think Tyreek Hill is deserving of a sprinkling. Uh, he, he has that 20 fantasy point in a play upside that we, that we all know. Um, consideration of him, it reminds me of that, that famous Twitter thread from last year of do defenses matter? Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, if they matter, you want to, you want to avoid Tyreek this week. Uh, I think, I think it is a concern, so I will just have a sprinkling of Tyreek Hill. Um, but historically, it hasn't been a bad play to uh, to take this top tier of wide receiver, even in the worst of matchups, because talent uh, it gets there less often in these bad matchups. But but it it gets. There, uh, some of the time, and the ownership is never there in these in these tougher matchups. 
Yeah, definitely agree. The ownership and the upside that he can have is immense. Uh, my guy in this round, I think it's Adam Thielen right now. That's the guy that I definitely like a ton. Uh, we can move down, like, you know, in that Carolina game, you could play that Rams roulette, right? Brandon Cooks, uh, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. I just hate trying to figure out which one. Uh, I like Chris Godwin because obviously I like that game a lot. I think that he's interesting. Tyler Lockett, there's a lot of opportunity for him now uh, with Doug Baldwin gone and just not a lot of, like, you know, receivers on Seattle. Uh, I think Tyler Lockett's an interesting play who's going to have a really nice season. Tyler Boyd gets that positive game script with no A.J. Green. Uh, I didn't even mention Kenny Galladay yet, who I think is an intriguing option. Uh, a lot of guys, too, in this range as well. Uh, what, who are some of the guys you're liking here? Yeah, I think Lockett should really be one of the staples, should be one of the highest-owned guys in, in all of your lineups. Um, he has that um, that very high value coupled with, extreme upside. Um, and I don't know if he'll be as popular as he should be. He should be very, very popular indeed. I think he should be uh, a staple. Um, so typically I will have one or two of the tier one receivers, then a lot of locket and uh, one punt like a, like a Curtis Samuel. Um, and that's typically where I'm going to be at, at wide receiver. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, sorry. No, you go. Who else do you like? I think the Detroit guys have, uh, even though it's not my favorite game, I think that the Detroit wide receivers have, uh, very nice distributions of fantasy performance. They they do show some explosiveness. So Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, um, I think those guys deserve some sprinklings as well. No, I I agree with you on that. Uh, definitely like Galladay there. I, I do worry like. One thing I worry about with Lockett, and I, I maybe do this in my head too much, is like, I think, man, that game script is so positive, and I already have a lot of Carson, like, do I want them in the same lineup together? Like, I worry about that. And again, I'm, that's, I'm more so talking cash games when I'm thinking that, and that's just my brain, but, um, like, sometimes I've made tournament lives, and I fall on Lockett, and I'm like, can I just have Carson and Lockett there? Like, it doesn't seem like an optimal thing in tournaments. In tournaments, I would not want that. Um, in cash games, I would think that that's a good thing. Yeah, I, th- that's just the thing I was thinking through. Cause like I'm not playing, like I'm not playing Russell Wilson. I don't think he's like in yeah. it. If you, if you wanted to go like Wilson, Carson, and Lockett, like I wouldn't hate it, but I don't love it. Um, but yeah, like that's just something as I've been building lineups. Like Lockett is just an extreme value in Carson, and I, I built tournament teams where I fall on both, and it just doesn't feel weird and it feels wrong. It doesn't feel uh correct. So that's why I figured I'd ask you about that. Yeah, well, I think in 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 cash games, for me personally, Carson on a value basis might not be one of the running backs that I would choose for cash. But if he is one that you would choose for cash, um, then it's ideal to pair him with Lockett and have that negative correlation. It's something that you want in cash games. Um, In tournaments, of course, you don't want that. Um, So, yeah, I would be – I would be on Lockett and Lockett alone in tournaments. All right, let's talk about the cheaper receivers. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys like the DJ Moore range, the Mike Williams, Calvin Ridley's guys that can pop here. Um, Aditi Westbrook is a guy who I absolutely love. I think I'm going to be loading up on him. I think he's like, you know, the only show in town at receiver in Jacksonville and has so much opportunity there with the positive game script for uh, the passing game. And the other guy who we mentioned earlier, Curtis Samuel, I think he's just in a phenomenal spot, going to be one of the chalkier options on the slate at 4,200. Uh, Didi and Curtis Samuel are guys I'm definitely keying in on, at least from a cash game perspective. And I think they're still good in tournaments, but with the volatility at receiver, are those two worth fading? And who are some of these other options you're taking some shots on? Um, I don't think you need to fade, uh, those guys. I think, um, there's enough options sub 5,500 that, uh, ownership will spread a little bit. Um, Westbrook, again, a perfect tournament play historically. He's high value this week and he has, uh, very good distribution for tournaments. I, I love him as well. Uh, as we mentioned, the Detroit guys are excellent plays on the cheap. I like Marvin Jones. Um, the Carolina guys, Moore and Samuel, 
excellent plays. Um, I mentioned Higgins maybe uh, as a as a nice punt uh, in Cleveland. Um, uh, Michael Gallup as the guy that has the nice tournament distribution, not necessarily uh, well, not a good value, but a good a good tournament value because he's very low ownership and he has nice explosive potential. Um, that's, that's pretty much where I, where I am on the cheap guys. And, and, and it's not a bad strategy in tournaments, like in the millionaire maker where it's, you're, you're getting the $20 versus $1 million odds to just, uh, just sprinkle in guys that might have no role that, that, that could pop like a Chris Conley or something like that. Okay, uh, we don't got too much time left, so let's kind of be quick here. We're gonna, uh, do one more question for you. Uh, we got, how do you, so how do you use the advanced sports analytics to build lineups? Uh, how are you kind of doing that? Like, like what do you use to integrate with the lineup building process? So, uh, Stuart and I, Stuart is, is my partner who's gonna be, uh, on all the subsequent shows. He, uh, he and I have talked about this quite a lot and we both are of the strong belief that building lineups by hand as painful as it is is a a much better process and so both of us um we tend whenever whenever possible uh whenever it's a it's we're taking the endeavor very seriously to build by hand uh so what i do is I take the insights that come from the tools and from the research and I, and I build some, some baseline lineups that I think are very well constructed tournament lineups that have, uh, careful consideration to the correlations of fantasy performances, careful correlation, I mean, careful consideration to the upside potential. And then I'll have like, let's just say 10 to 15 template lineups of perfect construction or what I take to be perfect construction. And then I, if I'm making 150 lineups, which is not going to be the case most weeks this season, but let's suppose I'm making 150 lineups. I'll take those 15 template lineups, all of which will have their own theme, right? One theme, say one of the lineups might be Detroit goes off. The other theme, another theme might be, uh, it's, it's a uh, wince to Ertz or whatever. Um, but when I'm, I'll then take those 15 template lineups that each have their own theme and I will splinter them in intelligent ways. Um, like do a two V two with one of the lineups where I take a, a, a wide receiver punt and upgrade a tight end or whatever. And, and just, splinter the lineups in that way until I have 150 different lineups. And that's, it's a, it's not a, uh, a time friendly approach, but that, that's my approach. All right. Uh, we don't have too much time left, but, uh, give me, uh, give me your two favorite tight ends. We talked about tight end enough, I think, but give me your two favorite tight ends on this slate. If you, if you can only take two, Brandon, what would you do? We all kind of discussed that we're going to play Kelsey, Ertz, Kittle, Ingram, Howard. Like it's a good week to spend up at tight end. We talked about Hooper being a good value and Hunter Henry. I like as a value as well, but, uh, who's your two favorite tight ends if you're forced to pick? Ooh, I don't know if I can. All right. Well, let's just, let's take out. Uh, Kelsey and Kittle, who we both agree are great plays. Um, Ertz is going to be a major focus for me this week. I think he'll be much lower owned than Kelsey, and I think he has somewhat similar upside. Um, I'm going to throw out two more. I'm going to throw out uh, Delaney Walker as pure punt. Um and Austin Hooper. All right, yeah, I like O.J. Howard. His per-touch efficiency, if you're looking at your NFL volume efficiency tool, uh, you know, his per-touch efficiency is off the charts. If we can project a reduced role for Cam Brate, Howard could have so much explosiveness here. So uh, absolutely yeah. love him in this spot. Howard popped uh, popped absolutely in, in our tools. Um, he... 
he's not a guy that's familiar to me in the in the eyeball test, and I, I haven't been willing to trust him in my lineups yet. But it, it, the data was certainly speaking speaking to him. All right, uh, we'll just talk defense real quick and touch upon that. Uh, I think Seattle defense is a good defense. Eagles, of course, but my cheap defense, uh, surprisingly enough, I think because a lot of plays are going to be running that game, I like the Niners D as like a, a defense that if you want to go cheap, you can go there as well. I know it like kind of doesn't make the most sense, but I think a lot of plays are going to be run there. And I like to spend down at defense sometimes, and I think there's a lot of variance to it. You don't need those big defensive weeks like we saw last season like you discussed. Uh, who are some of your quick defenses you can let us know about? Um, browsing our data before the show, it was the Chargers D that stuck to me as like probably the defense I was going to be on most. Uh, Brissett was taking a sack on 9% of dropbacks. And we know he's not, not a great quarterback. And kind of there was a lot of uncertainty on the team. So I, I, I could just see that as being, uh, being some explosive potential for the Chargers. I think that'll be a, a lot of my fantasy exposure. All right. Uh, final thoughts, Brandon. Anything to give to the people before we get on out of here? I'll, I will also have some some Ravens because I, I love my Dolphins, but it's just Miami sports teams. It's like sometimes they just give up, and it, it, it can be so bad when it's bad. It can be so bad. So I'm just – I'm willing to – to take some Ravens on explosive potential. Um, final thoughts. I'm really looking forward to the podcast going forward. It's going to be excellent to have my man Stewart on the show next week. Um, it's going to be a fun week one, but I, for me, I like, I like weeks two through four or more just because week one, there's, there's so many like chalk plays that everyone, everyone rolls. But uh, yeah, look forward to chatting next week, chatting about how week one went and, and plotting the season going forward. Alrighty. Well, thanks a lot, guys, for joining the Advanced Analytics Show presented by Roto Grinders. Don't forget, stack up that Tampa Bay game. Uh, I absolutely love it, but we got to get on out of here, guys. Thanks a lot for joining us. You'll be joined by Stuart next week, but for me, Travis Mangone and Brandon Adams, we are out of here.